Welcome to the Rise Up Podcast, the podcast all about empowering women's careers, hosted by me, Susan Dwyer. Each week, I share insights with you from women with different backgrounds, experiences, and learnings. We discuss career-defining moments that led them to where they are today, giving you a unique insight into what actually goes on behind the scenes. Get ready for some candid conversations about leadership, entrepreneurship, failure, confidence, and more. Today, I'm joined by co-founder of Riley, Fiona Parfrey. Uh, Fiona, welcome to the Rise Up Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm so grateful to have you I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So how are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to a Friday afternoon chat. Yes, me and you both. Um, Okay, so let's get straight into things. So... Actually, start us off. Why don't you tell us who or what Riley is? Just a kind of overview. Great. Um, So Riley is a female health brand and we provide superior period care. So that's eco-friendly tampons and pads that are better for our bodies and better for our planet. And we provide them on a subscription service. So we deliver to people's door as and when they need them. And then we also provide them to businesses. So small businesses like local cafes, gyms, restaurants, to large corporations that operate all throughout Europe. So in their offices, also to schools and universities, their bathrooms as well. Um, Yeah, and we're a very young business. We launched about just over a year and a half ago um, and it's been a whirlwind. Amazing. A year and a half, but a lot... A lot has happened in a year and a half. Yeah. Um, Okay, so take us back a little bit to pre-Riley days um, and more so at the beginning of your career journey. I know you started off, was it in Paddy Power in Dublin? So tell us how you went from there to kind of starting your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so I suppose straight out of college, I went to UCC and did a commerce degree and majored in marketing and I knew I wanted to get into to marketing. So I joined the um, graduate program in Paddy Power, the online marketing graduate program. Um, and that was a, like an amazing program to get experience across all different areas of the business because you rotate throughout the space of, I don't know, just under two years, I think it is. Um, and so I got experience in, you know, email marketing, PR, um, social media advertising, a whole range of things. And I suppose from there, I realized that I really liked the world of digital advertising and social media. It was kind of around the time, I'm going to show my age here now, but it was kind of around the time when Instagram was just introducing like paid advertising. Um, and it was just a really exciting space to be in. Um, the people I was working with at the time in Paddy Power as well were just amazing. We had grey crack, but they were also like a really talented bunch of people that I was learning off. So I absolutely loved it there. Um, But then I decided that I wanted to travel and move away from Ireland for a while. So I went off backpacking and found myself down in Melbourne in Australia after about four or five months living there. Um, And I joined another online gambling company down there, which I didn't really enjoy and just wanted to change things up a bit. And so before I knew it, I had landed in the kind of startup world, which I'd never experienced before. Um, so I joined a beauty e-commerce company um, called Sand and Sky Skincare Range. Um, I joined around the week or two before the brand launched. So I was the third. So was early, early stage. Very early stage. Okay. Yeah. So I was the third employee involved in launching the brand. And 
it was like completely different to anything I'd ever done. Um, and I absolutely loved it because I was getting stuck into every single part mm. of the business. Um, and just every single day was so different. Getting so much exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And really, really loved it. And I suppose it helped that it did really well. So we had phenomenal success in the first year and about, oh God, a year and a half later, we were, you know, we were a team of 13, 14 people. Um, And it was just brilliant. Loved every minute of it. Um, Again, got to work with really amazing people. Um, But then I want, like, I I suppose I was in Australia about three or so years and wanted to move home eventually. Mm -hmm. So um, unfortunately, I, I had to, handed my notice and leave okay even though i i suppose if if they had if there was an opportunity to keep doing what i was doing with that company in ireland i probably would have but um yeah australia did you go back to ireland then or so what i did is i went off traveling again packed up my backpack and went on a solo backpacking trip for about four months and i had no like work lined up for when i got home i just knew that i was in a crossroads Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I loved the startup world, but I didn't know how to kind of make that work back in Ireland. Um, and then when I was traveling, I just got a kind of an idea to start my own business through, I suppose, inspired from my travels. So I wanted to start a backpack brand that was like directly designed for like the female torso, um, and just from my own experiences of carrying around this big, mm-hmm. ugly, heavy backpack, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought this has to be like, there has to be a better way of doing this. Um, and so because I had nothing else like work-wise going on, I just decided to go for it. Um, and was this when you were still traveling or were you back in Ireland at this point? I was doing a lot of like idea generation designs and stuff as I was on the road traveling. Okay. Speaking to a lot of other backpackers, getting insights, feedback, um, and then when I got home, I asked my parents, could I move back in with them and start a business? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And how does one go about even st- like, did you know anything about design or how did that evolve? Not at all. I knew nothing. I was completely learning as I went, winging it, trying to just speak to a lot of people Um worked with some like freelancers to help me with like the technical drawings and things like that like I knew what I had in my head I literally had a pencil and paper and drew out what I wanted and then just you know found really good freelancers that could help me put those into technical drawings and then just sourced manufacturers on the internet and it it was not easy but it's it was doable it was doable yeah and you were doing it by yourself yeah Okay, so yeah. you're a solo founder. Solo founder. So what, because obviously now you have two co-founders. Mm. What do you think, because I'm a solo founder as well, what has been the biggest or what was the biggest challenge for you as a solo founder, do you think? So I think being a solo founder and like hindsight is a great thing. I think looking back now with other co-founders, it's really easy to look back and realize how difficult it was. But I think what it what it really does is when you're by yourself, the highs don't feel as high and the lows feel really low. Mm. Um, and that's really difficult. And so I launched this business, Sundrift, just, you know, to test it out and see what happened. And after the space of a couple of days, I was getting sales and I was so excited that this could actually turn into something. And all of a sudden I was three, four months in and it was growing month on month and it was going somewhere. 
and then COVID hit. Okay. And my target market just dissipated overnight. And as a solo founder, trying to deal with that was really, really difficult because I had no one to, you know, bounce ideas off or, you know, kind of figure things out with. And it was just um, lonely, very lonely. Yeah. 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 And so what happened then when COVID hit? So when COVID hit, I I don't give up very easily, Susan, <laughs> to be honest. So do you know what? I, it took me a couple of weeks. You know, at the time, no one really knew how long COVID yeah. was going to be around for, what was happening. Um, but, you know, after a couple of a couple of weeks, I realized like this, this is really, really serious. Um, so I need to like diversify somehow mm-hmm. to to keep my target market interested in what I what I, like what the brand was about and so Sundrift transformed from being purely focused on travel to being an outdoor lifestyle brand and so I started to create products for you know hiking and swimming and all of the things that people were really craving Still during COVID, doing, doing COVID. Yeah, yeah getting outdoors you know outside of the houses after being locked up for a couple of months and so that that helped um and like the brand survived through the craziness that was the mm-hmm. pandemic, um, which which I'm very proud of. It was really hard work, um, but I learned a lot. And I think that's kind of building up resilience that will stand forever. Forever, yeah. And do you think, so going into business number two, having had been through that experience before, were you more confident, do you think, going into setting up Riley? Or were there any kind of major lessons that you were able to take from Sundrift into this new experience? I think I was definitely more confident. You know, I think I had done it before um, and I knew where to begin. But also what gave me the confidence was the idea around what we were trying to do with Riley. Okay. With, I suppose, my previous business, it was very much a... It, it was a want product rather than a need. Um, and that kind of um, consumer desire can disappear overnight as I learned the hard way. Mm. Whereas with Riley, I guess, you know, we're, we're doing period products. It's kind of a market that's never going to go anywhere. Stable. Yeah, it's a stable need product. And if we did it in the right way and do it in the right way, there will always be people that want it. So that kind of difference definitely gave me much more confidence in the whole business plan and business idea as well. Okay. And then doing it with two friends. So tell us then about the Riley beginning. So how how it all started. So I guess how it all started. I was hanging out with Lauren and Anya, my co-founders, one night. We were friends. Lauren and I were in school together and, and Anya is a close family friend of Lauren's and she introduced us. And we were hanging out, having a glass of wine, catching up after a very long time because we hadn't seen this each other. This was still during COVID? This was still during COVID. Okay. At, you know, the time when we were allowed in each other's <laughs> houses, we were having a glass of wine in Anya's place. And, you know, the girls had been spending, you know, working from home for months and um, we're just kind of asking me about running my own business and, and all of this. And we we're having a really great conversation and getting a little bit tipsy and la la la. And then Anya got her period and we, she had no products in her house. Lauren checked her suitcase cause she had traveled over, um, from London. She, nothing. I had nothing in my handbags. And I suppose our mindset was, had come from speaking about the business world that all of a sudden we were like, this is ridiculous. Someone needs to fix it. Okay. This is a problem. Like, why do we run out 
every single month when we know this is going to happen. And subsequently further down the line, our research showed us that 95% of women run out when they need them. So like, you know yourself talking to friends Mm -hmm. and it always happens. Um, So we were like, oh yeah, we should definitely like sort this out. And then obviously the next day we were having coffee with, you know, sore heads or whatever going, (laughs) did you actually think that was a good idea? I thought it was a good idea. Um, sussing each other out and then I suppose we just started googling as we were like just having coffee and that's when it went from being this like you know little kind of drunken conversation dream to like something serious the next day the next day the very next day because when we were looking it all up we realized um I don't know whether it was out of ignorance or naivety but the products we've been using our whole lives um are filled with all these unnecessary ingredients that com- contain, you know, chemicals and toxins and are not good for our bodies. And that's when we were like, how did we not know this, first of all? And second of all, like, why is there not an alternative out there that we can easily find? So I suppose we felt compelled to do something about it then. And it just spiraled. <laughs> and so it's so interesting. So the your two co-founders... Were they working in full-time jobs at the time? Yeah. So I was still running Sundrift. Lauren and Anya were working in full-time jobs. Okay. Um, this was late November, early December in 2020. And so we were having lots of conversations about it over the over the coming weeks after that. And then it was coming up to Christmas time and we said to each other, okay, let's go away for the two weeks over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like not talk to each other about it at all. Go and sit on it for two weeks. We'll come back on the 4th of January. And if we're still serious about this, let's just go for it. So we all came back on the 4th of January, hopped on a Zoom call and we were like, who's we're in? Doing it. We were all in straight away. Oh my God, I yeah. love this. So three days later, we incorporated the company. And did that mean like all in quitting our job straight away or keep starting it as a side hustle? Or what did that look like? So what we wanted to do, I mean, I think straight away we knew it could be something. And the overall goal was to like do this full time. Yeah. But we wanted to get it off the ground first and just, I guess, see if there was market traction for this um, and if we could validate that Mm -hmm. and then go from there. But ultimately, it was a case of drawing up a shareholders agreement that meant that if this is going to be something that we can prove, let's all go for it and let's commit full time. Okay. so we did that. We launched about four months later. um, So we were working, you know, evenings and weekends alongside our other commitments and got to market really quickly very much with a like a minimum viable product like it was just um I suppose it's changed a lot since we first launched but it was to see I suppose if there was a a desire for this in the market and I think we realized straight away like just when our phone started pinging when we launched that like okay there's a huge opportunity there's an opportunity yeah so then I suppose we all started making moves to move away from what we had previously doing and go into the business. Because it's interesting. I feel like sometimes there's a bit of a unhealthy narrative out there and that quit your job straight away and, and go into something. Whereas I feel like it's, it's nice to have a bit of comfort or a bit of stability on the side while you are taking the risks, proving the concept yeah on the side kind of thing definitely I think what people need to realize though in doing that is it's a massive commitment Mm. because it's a lot of work 
it's it's not just doing something on the side it's actually doing two things full time yeah 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 <laughs> so Which all of is, a sudden you're you know you're working around the clock and but if you need that sense of reassurance that you do have a backup if if all yeah if everything doesn't go the way you were planning on it it is nice but you just it, it takes a lot of commitment yeah so tell me this so going into business with anyone is difficult but, you know, setting up a business with two of your best friends as co-founders is brave. I mean, I know people who've gone into business together who no longer speak. Personally, I love my friends, but I would be very nervous about going into business with them. So tell me about, like, were you nervous, first of all? And secondly, what have you done to navigate that situation? Yeah, I think definitely we were all very nervous about that. And I think, you know, it would be very naive not to be nervous about it. You read the horror stories about people having these great plans and ideas and then, like you say, falling out and like everything goes wrong. So they were, I suppose, conversations that we had at the very, very beginning, like we love each other as friends. Do we want to risk this? Um, And so what we decided was we would invest in that and from the very early days to try and ensure that we could protect our friendship like that no matter what happened if it all went wrong or if it all went fantastic or if it went well for one of us and someone else wanted out or whatever it is that we would always protect our friendship because we want to stay lifelong friends and so we decided which sounds crazy as a startup with no money but we decided to invest in that very early days so we you know, invest our time and invested money into bringing in business coaches to help us navigate the shift from friendship to business partners, um, to help us learn how to communicate effectively, because it's very different communicating with your friends to communicating with a business partner, um, and to listen to each other. And I suppose to learn each other's working styles. Yeah. Because You'd never worked with each other. Never worked with each other before. And we all have very different working styles. Mm. And so it's getting used to that as well. Um, I think like so far it's been, I'd say the best money that we've ever spent because we've gone from strength to strength as a co-founding team, Mm -hmm. built up a trust that I think goes beyond our friendship. And thankfully we've never had to, I suppose, use things that we that were in our shareholders agreement that we drew up at the very beginning like voting rights and, and things like this but at least we know that it's all there if we ever need to go back to it so that was a bit of advice that I suppose a mentor of mine gave us at the very beginning was to write the prenup for yeah. a divorce if that ever happens because um I suppose it, it's almost like a sense of security that if if things do if we have disagreements down the line at least we've all agreed to how we would handle that and we can refer to this piece of paper and move forward with what's right for the business rather than anyone's kind of personal like feelings or bias coming into it. So it's taken a bit of work, but it's um, it's really important to us that we get that right. And having that transparency, I guess, and being yeah. able to have those frank conversations. Yeah. yeah, super important. So talk to me about the mission behind Riley because it's a powerful one Uh, and I know you know you talk a lot about equality and obviously you're empowering women at the end of the day which is something very close to my heart so tell us about the mission behind Riley. Yeah I suppose overall we're in the business of making women's lives easier Mm. Um, and through that we want to provide products that for in this space of female health that are 
superior to what's out there at the moment. Female health in general has been a massively underserved market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about time that we pay attention. Um, so we want to change that. And Alice was along the way, as, as you mentioned, like we did start with period care. Um, but we have, we have lots of other plans and ideas on how we can continue to open up the conversation, improve female health and overall just, I suppose, improve women's lives. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a work in progress, but. And talk to us, so women's health, it's, you know, for as long as I can remember and still today, it's a very taboo subject and not just periods, but sex, um, postpartum, everything. And, you know, we have people who are trying to change that, like Jenny Keen and, you know, but do you think things are changing and what are you doing to kind of open these conversations more? I definitely think it's shifting. It's just very slow. Mm. Um, like if you look at, you know, clinical trials and, you know, the studies of drug treatments, like there's a four to one ratio of men to female in, in drug treatment studies. Um, you know, that's just one statistic out of so many where we're underrepresented. And so our anatomy and body isn't understood enough in the medical field. Mm. I do think that's changing, um, but it should have been done a very, very long time ago. We are obviously not doctors. Myself and my co-founders are not doctors and we're not trying to be. But what we are trying to do is break down that stigma. Mm. And as you say, open up the conversation because that, that's the first step into getting people's, I suppose, attention and getting them to realize that this matters. Um, and so the way that we can do that as a brand is to create content that is framed around this. So we write a lot of um, blog pieces around specific areas of female health, everything from fertility to endometriosis through to freezing your eggs, like so much in between. And then we use that content to send it to our community by email, to put it on social media, across TikTok. We also do lots of partnerships with people in I suppose those fields that will know more than us so experts like Mm -hmm. that specialize you know in say nutritionists or PTs that know how women should exercise throughout their menstrual cycle okay um and just I suppose try and give people as much information as possible because it's something that we certainly weren't given when we were younger no god when I think of like the conversations or lack thereof so what about schools are you doing anything to educate young girls yeah so we've partnered with a couple of schools to provide or we have a my first period kit and so we've provided some schools with those for their first years as they come in uh, and to the schools Um, and in those kits there's lots of information around the menstrual cycle and answers some questions that maybe um girls don't know about or are not comfortable talking about we're also working on a longer term kind of I suppose initiative to try and get into schools to actually speak to the students Mm -hmm. of all ages it's um a work in progress but hopefully next year um yeah maybe watch this space you'll hopefully see an announcement in the coming months of um of that initiative which we're very excited about oh wow that's so exciting and so important yeah um so 
with that, I want to touch on something that the social impact. I'm actually reading a really interesting book at the moment. It's called When Women Lead by Jessica Bernstein, I think her name is, but she does a lot of research around female entrepreneurs and her research shows that female founded businesses tend to be far more invested. Obviously, profit is a part of it, but most female led businesses will do something to have a positive effect on the environment or in the world or some kind of positive social impact. So talk to us about, because I know you're doing some great work in this space with fighting period poverty. So how, what are you doing and, and how important is that to, to the brand and to the mission? Yeah, it's massively important to us just on a personal level as co-founders. And, you know, we're all about, you know, creating a, a good, robust business that can, that can scale and operate with a profit and create employment. But for us, it was like, why not do that, but also do good along the way? Yeah. Like it, it, we can do both. Um, and so we decided, you know, if we're going to launch a period care brand, let's try and fight period poverty, which is still unfortunately a really, really massive issue, not just in developing countries, but at home here in Ireland as well. Um, and so it just made sense. And I suppose what that's given us is so much motivation. Um, and it's like one of those things that, you know, when you're having a hard day or really struggling with, all the stuff that can go wrong in a startup and you look at the impact that we yeah. can have, it's really like, it's a good driver. And mm-hmm. um, so what we do, we have two amazing partners that we work with. So one is Positive Period Ireland. They are a grassroots um, led initiative at home here. Um, Claire Hunt and her amazing team of volunteers provide period products that have been donated from us and from other uh, people or companies to places like homeless shelters and direct provision centers and I suppose to women that can't access these products easily. Um, and then we also work with Development Pomoja, which is an Irish um, registered charity based out in Kenya, who I actually had the privilege of volunteering with oh, no way. back in 2019 when I was on that backpacking trip. So it's close. Close to your very heart. close to my heart. Um, I think again, very naively, I was out there volunteering in a lot of rural communities in Kenya and doing some home visits and wondering why are the girls at home when they should be in school? And James, who's a cork man who founded the business and lives out in Kenya, you know, told me like, because they're on their periods, then they don't have access to period products and it's a massively taboo subject in Kenya. So they were actually like, they wouldn't go to school because they, of this. Up to 65% of girls in Kenya miss school every month because oh, wow. they can't access period pro- products. And it was really heartbreaking to see that. Um, and I suppose if you think that periods is a taboo subject here, it's like next level over there. Really? Yeah. So we, we work with James and his amazing team to provide schools with period products for um, the young girls there. But probably even more importantly, what we do is fund doctor led school visits to educate the young girls and the young boys around the menstrual cycle. And, you know, I suppose try and destigmatize what they have been taught about menstruation. Um, because I think, you know, the long-term impact. It's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. So, so trying to normalize those conversations. Yeah. In the early okay. days. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's great. Like we, you're like, we, oh God, we've, 
done such really like that. Well, not us, but we have worked with James and his team. They've educated almost 2000 young students in Kenya now. Mm. And we've donated a portion of every single sale. Um, yeah, so how does that work logistically? A, por- a portion of the sale goes Yeah, to- so a portion of every sale. It's a euro from every uh, every one of our online sales goes to fighting period poverty, whether that's, you know, Positive Period Ireland or Development Pomoja and hopefully more organisations to come. to come. And then on our, you know, B2B side of our business or a lot of our corporates, um, like voluntarily opt in to donate a portion of, of their spend to our charity or partners as well okay brilliant yeah so talk to us a little bit about you mentioned mentorship earlier um and you know when you first set up the business obviously you had each other but what support did you seek out i i've i've seen that you've kind of done certain programs and accelerators um, but what what were the kind of for anyone out there who's thinking of setting up a business, what were those first resources that that you could access? Yeah, well, there's, people. there's a, there's amazing, um, you know, groups and um, initiatives around entrepreneurship in Ireland that I had no idea about before I stepped into this world. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of things that Enterprise Ireland run that the local enterprise offices run. Um, I personally have been involved with um, Back for Business um, and Going for Growth, which are two programs run by the same woman, Paula Fitzsimons, who's amazing. Um, Going for Growth is one that I most recently did, which is all for female entrepreneurs. I saw a picture of your... How many women? Eight, was it? Yeah, so you're, there's far more in the program, but you're split into groups of, yeah, like seven okay. or eight, and you're given a mentor for that group so that you you meet with them every month for six months to talk about different areas of the business. And we, our lead mentor, um, who we had was Chupi, who owns the jewellery brand. So she was helping myself and the other amazing entrepreneurs in my group to, we, we have very different businesses, but very similar problems. So to work through those, to be a very non-judgmental sounding board where we could all come together and brainstorm and share experiences, share experiences give some tips and advice and just take a bit of time away from the desk to think mm. bigger picture about things. Yeah. So I found that really, really great. But there's there's loads of programs that you can do. Um, and I, I must say the entrepreneurial community in Ireland is really supportive. Um, so it's we've been really, really lucky to to meet some great people. And I suppose like we'd love to down the line if, you know, we continue growing Riley and our successful, we'd love to give back eventually as yeah. well. Um, because you see, you know, the likes of Chupi or Uno Hagen from Mars Pharmacy or um Anya Den, like people like this who have grown these businesses and are now spending a lot of their time like voluntarily giving back. Giving back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to keep that cycle going. A hundred percent. Cause they probably got support off, you know, someone when they were starting. And so, um, yeah, it's important to feed that back. And so t- talk to us a little bit about the business model. So initially you started off as B to direct to consumer, right? Yeah. And now, like you mentioned, you've got a number of corporate clients. Um, I was in one of Pressup's venues the other day. I saw your lovely um, products. So what percentage of the business now, or can you say, is like B2B versus B2C? And what's the plan going forward? Yeah, so I think um, with any startup, I think it's really important to 
stay as lean as possible and mm. to be open to pivoting or whether that's a big pivot or even just changing direction slightly because no matter what you think you're going to set out to do it's very unlikely that that's going to be the case and so as you mentioned yeah we started direct consumer we thought this was going to be you know an online subscription business which is still a big part of our business but for us we thought maybe down the line in three or four years we'll look at potentially retail potentially corporate sales but let's first concentrate on building this brand Mm -hmm. we're way too small to even think about that now God, we were wrong. (laughs) We were so wrong. Within two weeks of launching, we got our first inbound lead from a corporate client who we ended up actually um, signing, which is Vodafone. It was our first corporate client. That was your first client. Yeah. Um, And so we were like, oh. And they reached out to you. They reached out to us. We'd love to get involved. Yeah. Right. And so I think we just said, absolutely, we can do that. No problem. And in the background uh, yeah, going, let me check with my secretary here. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were literally in like Anya's garage and skull, like packing boxes, trying to figure out how we were going to make that work. But we did. And um, I guess from there, we we did a lot of really good press and it kind of the word got out there and then the more leads started to come and we quickly realized that this is going to be a very big part of our business. Um, and so we just reprioritized in terms of, you know, resources. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% of our, our business is, is now our B2B side, which oh, wow. was not what we expected at all when we started off. Um, and yeah, it's continuing to, to grow and we are, I suppose, it, it does feed into our overall mission of trying to make better period products accessible wherever and whenever they're needed. So we haven't had to change like our core ethos or anything, but it's just, I suppose, changing or, um, I suppose, or tact in terms of like going where the opportunity is, is lying. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose it adds into well, your mission and everything that you stand for. Like if I'm working in Vodafone and, you know, there's free products available surely it's bound to open up more conversation around women's health and each individual's experience absolutely and that is feedback that we get from our clients a lot that it started to make I suppose talking about these subjects in the workplace a bit easier you know if if your company is suddenly pushing this big period initiative the men are going to pay attention as well and it's just made it like um easier to talk about and I would imagine it helped it helps those companies to be more inclusive as an employer. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And what's great as well to see is that companies that we working are, are working with that may not have gender neutral bathrooms yet are also starting to provide the products in men's bathrooms. Yeah. For, for, you know, people who identify as male and are menstruating and it's just creating this whole conversation that's really important. Um, and so, yeah, we're really focusing on trying to, grow that side of the business um we've got some amazing clients here in Ireland that we're so privileged to be working with um and now we need to start looking further afield as well wow that's amazing and exciting like big opportunity there very exciting yeah so speaking of opportunity and and growth um I want to talk about raising investment particularly as a female founder we all know the depressing statistics out there like I think it's under 3% of VC money goes to female founders, sadly. I don't even know how that's possible. But 
What has your journey been with fundraising? And have you experienced as three female founders any gender bias along the way, do you think? So yeah, we did a raise when we first launched, um, when we I suppose realized that this could be a really great business opportunity. We knew that if we were gonna do it, we wanted to um we wanted to really, I suppose, grow grow as quickly as possible. And so we decided not to bootstrap it and just get external funding. So that straight away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two or three months after we launched, we started getting out there and pitching. Um, to like angels or who were you pitching to? So yeah, initially to angels. Um, and it was difficult at the start to get in front of people because we'd never done this before. We didn't really have connections. Um, and what we found is there were lots of, I suppose, you know, friends and family that were really willing to support. Um, and so what we decided to do was do a crowdfunding campaign. Okay. Um, so that friends and family who wanted to invest, you know, low ticket sizes to high ticket sizes could all get involved that way. And on top of that, it would create, you know, brand awareness. Um, so we decided to go with that. But I suppose during that journey, we had then a bit of attention within the kind of investment community in Ireland and got the opportunity to pitch to a few angels. So we ended up raising a portion of our funds through crowdfunding and the rest through, through angels. angels. Okay, yeah. interesting. And just out of interest, what was the crowd? How did you find the crowdfunding experience? The crowdfunding experience was really great from a, like a, a as I said, brand awareness perspective okay and really great to get some of even our customers involved um and I suppose you're creating brand advocates that way because they're personally yeah. invested in your business it's not an easy process in terms of the time it takes um, it's a full-time job basically. yeah yeah it, it does become a full-time job um and crowdfunding is it's an expensive enough route to raising funds. Really? Yeah. Um, which As in you have to give away a lot of... Yeah so, yeah. so, well, I suppose a percentage of your raise goes to the crowdfunding platform okay. that you're working with. Um, that being said, like, it's all about, I suppose, um, figuring out, like, where you can get in front of people. And for us at the time, that was, like, the only way. Okay. So we're extremely grateful that we did that. Um and I guess it, it, yeah, it depends on kind of what stage of the business you're at, where your network is, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really good learning curve as well. Um, and then, yeah, with the angels, I suppose we, we've had some, you know, great people come on board that have been really supportive. Would they act as like advisors as well as investors or? Yeah. So we have one of them who's a strategic okay. advisor of ours. Um, and the rest, like we touch base with all of the time, but they're not actively involved okay. in the business. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, we know that we'll probably end up fundraising again. You know, you mentioned some really depressing statistics there around the VCs. So whether we go down the VC route or not, who knows? In terms of the gender bias, um, I think, again, that's probably starting to shift. We actually, a lot of our angels end up being male. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we do always like remember is like one of the first times we were pitching to an angel investor who happened to be like a middle-aged man asked us like this you know we're talking about the vision and the mission of our business and all around like you know female health and he just said like 
you know, like you're just cutting out 50% of the market by not focusing on men. Like, why are you doing that? And you're like, well, like, yes, that's the whole point. We're not a... 50% of the population is still pretty significant. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we like, we're really specific in what we're doing. So he just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we've have, we have amazing, like amazing male investors on board as well who, right. who really understand what we're about. So... Yeah, maybe it will change if we ever go in front of VCs. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, we'll watch the space again. And so how much money have you raised to date? So we raised 775k to date. That was mainly to kind of get off the ground to if stock purchases, essentially being a product based business, it's expensive. Okay. Yeah. Um, to first, I suppose, kick off. And then we also hired two staff with those funds as well. So we have... Um, so how many on the team now? Five? It's five. So there's okay. three co-founders. And then we've got the wonderful Megan, who looks after our e-commerce marketing, and Emer, who works at Lauren on the corporate side of things. Okay, brilliant. Um, now, we're still definitely under-resourced and need more people. Are you hiring at the moment? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have um, we have two open roles at the moment, um, and hopefully we'll be hiring for a few more. What areas are you looking to grow out? So right now we need uh, someone in supply chain and operations if anyone (laughs) knows anyone (laughs) let us know um and then also in like account management for our corporate sales okay that being said we know we're going to need someone else on the e-com side soon in terms of um you know community management for social media and all of that okay there it's i think what we've learned is we've been really specific in the type of job roles that we've put out there but actually we probably need to flip that now and actually just find the right people. People and for the culture and exactly, for what you're trying to grow. Exactly. Okay. And I feel I've seen a lot about Riley since you have began this journey in the press and the media. You seem to have kind of done that quite well. Do you have any advice for founders who are looking to get more coverage? Like how did you how did you do that? Or was more about your story or, or? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we've been really lucky with the Irish press. They've been really, really supportive. Um, and I think the Irish, the Irish media is just fantastic for supporting local and supporting Irish. Um, that being said, like we, we've done all of our press in house, um, you know, like writing our own press releases and contacting journalists ourselves. Um, it takes a bit of work and a bit of time, but it's well worth it when you get a piece of coverage. So, it's just been a learning curve for us. We're by no means experts in it, but I suppose what's worked for us is making the journalists' lives as easy as possible in terms of like writing a press release and sending it to them in a format that they can really easily digest and decide what's useful to include in articles, sending them the right imagery, being willing to jump on the phone last minute whenever they need. Um, and I suppose building up a rapport as well with like actually tr- building genuine relationships yeah yeah exactly yeah. and like I think it's it's about nurturing them over time and it it's definitely like not easy but I suppose we've learned the value as well in traditional media like that as well so yeah it just adds a whole kind of element of credibility to your brand because that is a challenge right when you <laughs> when you just start a business when you've no experience doing what you're doing it is like that credibility piece. How how did you how have you managed to build that bar getting in press? What else has helped? So what's really helped is our customer reviews. Um, really? okay. Yeah. So we're really focused on trying to get as much 
feedback from customers, negative or positive as Mm -hmm. possible. We've been really actively engaging with our customers from day one. So like, you know, every month I pick up the phone to a certain number of customers and just cold ring them and ask them like, what, what do you want us to change? Like, what do you like? What do you dislike? Um, we send email surveys. We talk to them a lot on social media. Um, you're quite strong on the community front. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're here for our community. That's the only reason we exist. So anything that we do has to be built with, with our customer in mind first and foremost, and so the only way that we're going to find that out is by engaging with them. Yeah. Um, luckily, our Riley community has been fantastic in giving us suggestions and ideas and um, building the customer reviews has been massive for the credibility piece because people trust other people, um, you know. And think, people want to buy from people that they like and that they trust. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we have, you know, third party reviews on Trustpilot that we um, have luckily have a five star rating with and you know, I suppose use that in all of our marketing materials to let people know that like, we think we're great, but also our customers think we're great. So that's fantastic. And then also we have a referral program. So our customers can recommend us easily to friends and family. Um, cause word of mouth is still, I think the strongest piece of yeah marketing that you can ever do. Um, so if we really focus on getting our product right from our customers, we know that they're going to recommend us to people. Um, so that's a huge part of the credibility piece as well. And then I suppose when it comes specifically to a product front, all of our products are, have the right accreditation to them. So like the necessary, like health and safety certificates, like from a sustainability perspective so okay. like our cotton is certified organic you know we're fda approved we have the ce marks that we can trade in europe all of that so that not many consumers will look for it but that we know the quality of our product is top notch and we're not mm. like um compromising anything on that front as well and that just gives you confidence in itself yeah okay. yeah And so talk to us a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey. So we all know that, you know, there's plenty of highs, but there's also so many lows that we don't necessarily see. What would you say since, since I suppose the beginning or say for the last year and a half, two years, what, what has been the biggest challenge for you personally? So there's been so many, (laughs) there's been so many, I think you're dead right. Like, you know, as a business, we have to celebrate our wins and publicly speak about them. But actually day to day, there's so many issues and challenges that arise and we come in and we, you know, you're just putting out fighting fires every day. And that's what, what, that's what we love about it. It's always something new and different and we're constantly being challenged, um, which makes it exciting. Um, but there's been there's been so many. I think what we've really struggled with probably in the last little while has been our priorities, because, as I mentioned, we have really big ambitions and loads of great ideas and we really want to do it all at once. And okay. it's just not possible mm-hmm. being a small team. So we've had to be really clear and careful in figuring out what's worthwhile, like what what we should focus on each quarter and being I suppose, tactical in that front. Um, and whether that means, you know, slowing down to get it right, which is something I personally really struggle with yeah. it because I'm really fast paced and I want things done yesterday, but that's not always the right way. So I suppose that's been really challenging, but there's been just so many things like we, we were on the Late Late Show um, last year, a couple of months after we launched 
And I don't think we like realized how much of a big opportunity that was going to be. And like we were selling out of product. Like, no, that's a great marketing story, but like you never want to sell out of product as a oh, product. Like after you appeared, you yeah. got so much traction. Yeah. Didn't so like product. deliveries were delayed and it was amazing the amount of orders we got in, but we were like, oh my God, tearing oh, our hairs out. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like panic. You know, we, in our first week after we launched again, maybe we underestimated ourselves. Maybe that's a female trait, but we didn't realize how much orders we do in our first week and we ran out of packaging. So like, you know, there's just things like that that crop up all of the time. Um, I think what we've learned is that processes are really important Mm -hmm. as we're trying to grow the business, especially as a small team, because we, we need to make sure that we're being really efficient. Um, and then I suppose that, you know, mistakes will always happen. Things will always go wrong. But what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? And like you learn the learnings that you get from those mistakes. Totally. Like you have to fail to succeed. Yeah. And yeah. we fail at things all the time. And I think just learning from them is is the only thing that will set us apart, you know. And in terms of managing those ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that is you know running your own business is there anything that like for your own kind of mental health and well-being you know that keeps you I know you said you hone in on the bigger picture mission and what you're doing around the social impact but is there anything else that kind of keeps you on track or keeps Fiona mentally in check I guess um, oh God, <laughs> I think it comes in, in waves, yeah. um, is what I've kind of learned. Like there'll be periods where I feel like I have like my shit together and it's all fine. And then there'll be periods like this right now. It's our busiest time of year and on the e-com side, you know, it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday coming up to Christmas. Okay. It's just mental. And unfortunately that means, you know, long 12 hour days every day for a number of weeks and that's you know sometimes you feel like you're drowning but it's realizing that it will stable out again and it will come and it will come ebbs and flows. completely ebbs and flows and I think at the t- at the start it was probably a lot more stressful to deal with these busy times because you didn't know when it was going to end but now I think we've learned and certainly I have learned that it will and that just I suppose to like take it day by day breathe along the way Mm. give yourself time to get the cup of coffee or go for a walk because that's just as important um and you have to be in the right headspace as well to make to make smart decisions yeah um and so you know we try and be really uh, Anya one of my co-founders is amazing for this she's like all about um making sure that we're like you know in in the like in the right frame of mind and so like that we're getting exercise that we're taking days off when we need to um because we work really hard and it's just as important to rest and recover Mm -hmm. as well and so I've luckily like learned a lot from her in that front because I think if we didn't have Anya probably Lauren and I would have burnt out by now because we are like workhorses which sounds great for a startup but actually no one wants a founder burning out that's yeah. so counterproductive especially in like year one yeah it's just like it can't happen um because you know the team is the biggest asset um and so um we've learned from each other in that in that in that space and um it's a work in progress yeah you know um there's times where you lose sleep over it um mm. and there's times where you feel like you're handling everything really, really well. Um, but I think it's de- definitely, I think, tuning in to how you're feeling and why 
you might be feeling like this and communicating with each other like you know even just a couple of weeks ago um I think it was actually only last week myself and Meg work on the e-com side of the business and it's a really really busy period for us and the the rest of the team can see that but just actively communicating that with the team like just so you know guys like we're really under the pump right now you know if we're slow to respond or if you need something from us just bear that in mind and that kind of like getting everyone on the same page on the same page overly communicating about that stuff I think has been helpful and having the self-awareness in yourself like oh I'm really struggling I'm not feeling good today like what do I need to kind of fill up my cup or whatever it may be yeah totally and that's super important too and speaking of lessons learned like there might be people listening to this who have the desire to set up their own business or, or maybe they have an idea but they might not have the confidence to kind of go full, you know, 100% in just yet. Is there any advice looking back that you would give to yourself around, yeah, maybe something that you would do differently or, yeah, just any advice you would give to someone kind of starting out this journey? I think um, we did this quite a lot with Riley, but I didn't necessarily do it that much with Sundrift, which was like really spending the time at the beginning to do what like it's kind of the boring work but like figuring out the market opportunity um and maybe not putting like a really thorough business plan together but putting something down on paper in terms of like what you can think you can achieve in your one year two year three and how you're going to do it um and I think it helps to you have to stay focused in Mm. this startup game and if you lose focus it's really dangerous and I think that you know having that plan that we it it won't always go that way but at least that you can kind of refer back to and see are you on the right track or are you swaying away from things and if you are then why is it worth it to do that um is really helpful and so you know um Lauren Oni and I did that at the start but we still continue to do that even next week we're going away the three of us on an off-site for two days to shut off our laptops turn off our phones and get in a room and go through everything like and really spend that time more holistically kind of like bigger picture yeah, are we yeah. still achieving what we want to achieve do we need to change anything what does it all look like for us and checking in on that regularly I think is really important it's so easy to get bogged down in the day in the day to day day to day like and forgetting to take that step back yeah and like feeling like you're achieving things every day but actually are you moving the dial kind of a busy feel busy feel and like what is it actually that's going to transform your business and yeah I think taking the time to think about that it's hard for for especially like for me anyway it's very hard as someone who likes to be doing things and likes to be ticking things off that list and is really like as I said fast paced and it's hard to take that step back but actually it's invaluable invaluable. and I think that's applicable to everybody whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're you have your own career like taking a step back being like am I going in the direction that I want to be going in yeah like am I on the right path here what needs to change like everybody needs to do that totally because time goes so quickly and all yeah. of a sudden you can be down this You're path like, that you didn't plan yeah, or didn't 100%. want so with with that I like in mind and the vision and looking into the future what is the vision going forward for Riley for the next couple of years like what are we to expect next year even 2023 yeah what can um, you tell us <laughs> <laughs> we've got some really really big plans um so I suppose you know majority of our 
customer bases in Ireland at the moment. And the Irish market, as I said, has been fantastic to get on the ground feedback. And um, we've learned a lot from our community here and we'd love to take it further afield into new markets. Um, so we're looking at that at the moment. But aside from that, new product development is a um, a big piece that we're working on right now. We're hoping to launch something very exciting by the end of the year. I can't oh, well, give it away just as in yet. Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. So the the uh, pressure is on right now. We've launched a few, I suppose, like a few um, really nice add-on products for your period. I saw you care. did something last week. Um, yeah, we have a reusable applicator now um, for tampons, which is great. And just uh, yesterday we launched a heat pad for cramping. So things like that has been have been really nice, but we we're going into a whole other kind of area soon. Outside of period products. Yeah. Mm. So that's really exciting. And then I suppose further down the line, we we really want to keep engaged with our community to find out what they want. Um, but we do have big plans to look at other areas of female health and really to become what our vision is, is to be that lifelong brand. So everything, you know. Um, from menstruation through to menopause and what women need in between. Um, and again, like never swaying from our core, which is high quality, superior products. For women. Yes. Amazing. Well, I personally am so impressed, but so excited to to follow the journey and see what's in store over the next couple of years. I think it's amazing. I think it's so, so important. And even the conversations that are being had on your social media and things like that, um yeah really excited to see where it thanks goes. so much and same to you i'm so excited for everything that you're doing and thank, thank you, you so much for all your support really appreciate yeah, it no, thanks for coming on the podcast great to be here